Hey guys, welcome to Relatable. Happy Thursday. Hope everyone has had a wonderful week so far. This episode, like our other episodes this week, is brought to you by our friends at Good Ranchers. We love Good Ranchers. They've got craft beef better than organic chicken ships right to your front door. Check them out at goodranchers.com slash alley for a great deal. All right, today we are talking to my friend Justin Haskins. You know that name because the most popular episode of Relatable that we've ever done out of 547 or eight, however many episodes we have now out of all of the Relatable episodes, the episode that I did with Justin talking about the Great Reset, talking about BlackRock and Bill Gates, all of these things that sound very conspiratorial but actually have to do with one another and... um create a very disturbing but real narrative about some things that are going on in the world and answers a lot of questions about why some of the things that seem to make no sense are going on. This is a continuation of that conversation. We are going to be talking about how some of the COVID measures are playing into this, a lot of the chaos that we're seeing at the border, uh, the rise in crime in a lot of the cities that are funded by uh, by people who uh, apparently want to see lawlessness and chaos in the United States. Why are all of these things happening? How is this playing into this thing called the Great Reset? What is a conspiracy? What is not? Is this a left-right thing? So we're going to be talking about this more, but as every conversation um, with Justin is, this is going, or does, this is going to present new information about the things that are going on. We're also going to discuss the book that he just wrote with Glenn Beck called um, The Great Reset, Joe Biden and the Rise of 21st Century Fascism. So this is going to be a fascinating conversation. Justin is a fascinating and insightful person. I'm excited for you to hear it. And then at the end, I'm going to give some encouragement because this is an overwhelming topic. It's not like he gives some encouragement and some advice too, but I'm going to give some biblical encouragement at the end because I don't want you to finish this conversation despairing. I want you to feel informed and empowered, and that's exactly how you'll feel at the end of this episode. So without further ado, here is our friend, Justin Haskins. Justin, thank you so much for joining us once again. As we were saying before we started, you're a fan favorite on Relatable. <laughs> we're going to talk about the Great Reset, which I, I know that you have been talking about so much, so much, but this is your beat now. I don't know if you intended for this to become your beat, but it is. <laughs> and you just wrote a book with Glenn Beck, um, and it's called The Great Reset, Joe Biden and the Rise of 21st Century Fascism. So let's just start there. What is this book about? Why did you guys decide to write it together? Right. Yeah. So this started uh, sort of mid 2020 when um, the World Economic Forum, the, those are the people that put on that big event in Davos every year, got together and they held this major uh, uh, virtual event with world leaders from the United Nations, International Monetary Fund, from major corporations and banks. And they, they rolled out this campaign called The Great Reset. That's something they came up with, not something that I came up with or Glenn Beck or anyone like that. Um, and the whole theme of this was we need to push the reset button on the entire global economy. And we 
need to rewrite the social contract and we need to transform our societies. These were the kinds of things they were saying. There's mountains of quotes of these people talking this way. And that immediately got my attention. That immediately got Glenn's attention. And we said, what, what, what is this thing? What are they talking about? Is this just sort of a rebranding of socialism? Uh, you know, what is this? And the more we started looking into it, the more we realized, Wow, there is so much to this. They really are serious about changing the world, transforming the global economy, um, and they have not just a plan in the future for this to happen, but they actually have already started to do this through things like ESG scores and other stuff that you and I have talked about before. And so the more we looked into it, sort of the deeper we fell down the rabbit hole, right? And it became this this passion project for both me and Glenn to figure out what this was, how it works, and how we can stop it. And that led us to writing this book, uh, The Great Reset. And it, I think it's already number one on Amazon. It's, it's clearly rem uh, resonating with people because I think that people look around and they realize the world around them is dramatically changing. Why is this happening? And I think that The Great Reset explains a lot of what they're seeing in the news every single day. So just to recap for people who might be hearing about this subject for the first time, of course, I encourage people to go back and to listen to the previous interviews that we have done on this. But basically, this is a, a group of, for lack of a better term, elites. I know that term is has been thrown around a lot, but we're talking about people with a lot of money, with a lot of capital, with a lot of authority and influence coming together and saying, you know what, how the world is working right now, it, it's, it's not best. We need a way to kind of reconfigure society so we can do these grand, great things like fight climate change and fight systemic racism. And so let's change the you know, the capitalist system that currently exists in place like the United States to something called, is it stake, is it stakeholder capitalism yep. rather than maybe versus what they would call shareholder capitalism? And they say that it's not socialism, that it's not communism. And I think you agree on that. But what is the economic system that those who are trying to set this great reset button envision. Right. So I think the best way to think of us is that there's two, there's two big parts to the great reset transformation. The first is something that everyone's really familiar with. Uh, it's big government programs and expansion of government programs, expansion of the welfare state, things like uh, the Green New Deal would be part of this. They have a European Green Deal, which is very similar to the Green New Deal that we have here. Um, uh, federal jobs guarantee programs, uh, basic income programs, where they just send people money in the mail just for, they send or they deposit it automatically into their accounts, uh, just everyone in society. Uh, there's all sorts of things that you, know, you would associate with maybe uh, the far left wing of the Democratic Party that is part of all of this. And that's why I think a lot of people look at it and they think, well, this is clearly just a, a plan for socialism. But in reality, the second part of it is the bigger part. That's the bigger transformation. That second part is um, stakeholder capitalism. Mm. Now, stakeholder capitalism uh, is not really capitalism. They call it that because they think that it's going to be more palatable to people who are not uh, interested in the Great Reset at first. Stakeholder just means collectivist. That's what it means. Uh, it's everyone's a stakeholder. When you start reading their literature, you realize literally everybody in society is a stakeholder. So it's collectivist capitalism, which is an oxymoron. Um, and what it, the way that stakeholder capitalism works is we have to, uh, we're not going to get rid of markets. 
We're not going to um, uh, have a society that's uh, just run where everything's run by the government directly. What we're going to do, instead of collectively owning property, as you would in a socialist or communist society, we're going to have an economy where um, corporations and businesses own most of the property. And we will get corporations and businesses to behave the way we want through uh, something called ESG scores, environmental, social and governance scores, and through regulations and by printing lots of money and funneling it into the groups that we think should have it, the industries we think should have it, and withholding money from groups that we think should not have it and taxing uh, parts of the economy that we don't, we don't want to exist anymore. So um, this ESG system is really like a social credit scoring system uh, where the good companies are given high scores. And by good, I mean in the minds of the elites and the bad companies are given low credit scores and are punished in a variety of, of different ways. So they're in the process of rolling this system out now. All, you'd be, a lot of people would be surprised to hear that the vast majority of major corporations in the world, uh, in the Western world, already have so, an ESG system that they voluntarily put into place. Mm-hmm. Um, in Europe, they've already passed a resolution in the European Union, in the European Parliament, to create a mandatory ESG system for all of the European Parliament. I mean, all of the European Union. Um, and they're trying to make that a law. It hasn't actually gone into effect yet. Um, but this is something that has been in play or been, been Uh, They've been in the process of putting this in place for an extremely long time. Mm. And um, if they actually pull it off, it is going to transform the way that we uh, live in every single facet of our lives. So I also know that this ESG thing is something that is happening. These scores that are given to corporations. I have a friend who works at a major corporation in the United States, and she was casually talking about her company's ESG score, not knowing what it's actually a part of. And I'm like, did you just say ESG? And she's like, oh, yeah, this is something that my, um, you know, major accounting firm has been has been doing for a while. So I just want to be clear on like who is actually implementing this, because I know we talk about the people at the World Economic Forum and we're talking about people who a lot of uh, a lot of um, detractors would say detractors to you and people who talk about the Great Reset are just centers of conspiracy theories like George Soros and like uh, Klaus Schwab and people like that. But um, there are really a lot of people that we haven't even heard of. There are people that are obviously a, a part of the U.S. government, the Canadian government in the EU that are all on board with this idea and they sincerely think that they are making the world a better place by holding these companies accountable maybe would be the language that they that they use so companies i know you kind of you you mentioned this a little bit but why why would companies go along with this when you think about companies and wanting to make a profit you'd think that they would really just want to please their consumers, please their customers, please their clients. Why would they go along with this top-down system where a government is saying, look, we're going to give you these benefits, whether it be you know tax cuts or whatever, if you follow along with this, if you get a high ESG score, but we're going to punish you if you get a low ESG score. Why don't more companies stand up and say, no, you know, we're not going to do that. We really just care about making a good product or providing a good service and making money. 
Right. So I think there's a couple of important things to keep in mind. The first is that you don't necessarily need the government to impose the system. Mm -hmm. uh, that's what they're trying to do in the European Union. But the system is already being rolled out and there is no law that mandates ESG scores or well, then anything who's keeping like that. The score? Who's keeping the score and who's providing the benefits or the punishments based on what um, based on what the score is of these corporations. Right, right. So uh, the, the the scores, there's a bunch of ratings agencies that create these scores. Um, they're big financial houses uh, that have these things. They partner together with groups like Fidelity and other big financial management firms that, that keep track of these things. Um, if you have a Fidelity account or if you have um, an account with Morningstar or any of these big brokerage houses, you can actually go in and look at ESG scores for most of the companies uh, that are publicly traded in the United States or around the world. So um, those are the people who are kind of keeping track of it. It's accounting firms and groups like that. Uh, there's lots of self-reporting for corporations that produce their own ESG reports and then report them. Um, so that's a different group from the people who are actually imposing, you know, rewards and punishments for it. Who are the ones who are imposing the rewards and punishments or giving the, the awards and, and uh, issuing the punishments? It's primarily happening through um, there's to some degree government because government is looking at these things when deciding who to have issue government contracts with. The Biden administration created a whole new uh, sub agency when they first came into office earlier in 2021 uh, called the Made in America office, where they actually said we're going to buy American is how they sold it. But they also said we're only going to buy from the good American companies. Well, who are the good American companies? That's how ESG scores play into all of that from the government side. But um, there's also uh, big financial firms like BlackRock, for example, like State Street Global Advisors. Um, there are uh, pension funds, people who control massive amounts of money. Uh, BlackRock has essentially owns more stock than anyone in the world. <laughs> and, and so they have a massive amount of power, trillions and trillions of dollars. It's somewhere around $10 trillion assets under management, just BlackRock alone. Um, and so when you take them and State Street Global Advisors and Fidelity and all these other big Wall Street firms, uh, and you add up all of their wealth that they have under management, you add up all the stock that they own, they can impose just about any rule they want on corporations. And they're the ones pushing for these ESG scores harder than anybody. Now, why do they want it? They want it because they're the beneficiary of the massive amount of money printing that's been going on through the banking system, through central banks like the Federal Reserve in the United States and in the European Central Bank and other banks around the world that have been funneling trillions of dollars into the financial system. And they're doing it under the guise of, well, we need to shore up the financial system. We've had all these financial crashes and things that have happened and COVID. And then before that, there was the 2008, 2009 crash under, with Barack Obama and George W. Bush. Um, and they've had trillions of dollars funnel into their system and they're using that money. They're, they're essentially saying, if you want this money, then you're going to have to be sustainable and responsible with the money uh, so that you have central banks tying the money that they're pumping into the financial system uh, to all of this stuff as well. And then you just have uh, private banks like Bank of America, like Citibank, like Wells Fargo, basically every large bank in the United States has to some degree said that they're only going to do business with people. They're only going to provide loans and provide bank accounts and other banking services to businesses that agree to go along with all these ESG scores as well. Now, why do they want to do it? Because they're also making lots of money on mm -hmm. all of the money printing that's going on here. So in a way, 
it's all about money. I mean, that's yeah. that's really the most important part of all of this. And where is this money coming from? It's being printed. It's being printed. So what your original question is, why would corporations and banks and other people, why would they want to go along with this when it doesn't seem to be what's best for business? It's not it's not necessarily um, focused on consumers and regular people. It, it just doesn't seem like a normal market economic reaction. Well, it is actually a normal a normal market economic reaction. If you think about it from the perspective of the central banks and the government being the biggest consumer in the marketplace. They're the ones with all the money now. So if, if you're looking at who's my biggest customer, where, is, where am I getting the most money? What's helping the stock prices go up dramatically, which has been going on now for a long time, even in the midst of economic crashes? What's, what's causing all of this? It's all of this money printing. So they really are responding to the desires of their customers. It's just their biggest customer is now central banks, the banking system, and in groups like BlackRock. All right, taking a quick break from that fascinating conversation to tell you about our first sponsor for the day, a new sponsor, and that is CB Distillery. You've probably heard of CBD before. You probably know someone who has used CBD for a variety of health conditions. It can be very effective and it is safe. Let me tell you about CBDistillery.com. With over 2 million customers, CB Distillery is of the source that millions of people trust. So when patients tell their doctors that they use CBD for help with their health conditions, what are some of those conditions? If sleep is a problem, 90% of CB distillery customers said they sleep better with CBD. If nagging discomfort uh, is a problem, 80% of customers said CBD helps with discomfort after physical activity. And if you're looking for a little peace and calm these days, you'd be wise to explore CBD. I know people who have been helped by CBD for things like um, epilepsy. And so maybe that's something to ask your doctor about. Go to cbdistillery.com where you order online with no prescription required and enter Allie, A-L-L-I-E for 20% off. Again, enter Allie for 20% off at cbdistillery.com. That's cbdistillery.com. Not available in Idaho, Iowa, and South Dakota. So how does a corporate oligarchy, which is basically what you're explaining. How how does it translate into the future that the World Economic Forum says that they want? There was that article that we've already talked about that said the year is 2030, you know, you'll own nothing and be happy. And it's basically like this fantasy of whoever was writing this talking about how you know, you didn't actually have to own anything and you don't have to work a job that you don't want to work because you don't have to earn money to survive. And it's basically, it's not collective ownership, I guess. I guess it is, you know, corporate ownership. How does what they're doing now with the ESG scores and giving so money to corporations and really taking away uh, any economic or voting power away from average people like, how does that accomplish? What's the next step, I guess, is what I'm asking. What would be the next step in their ideal vision of how this is all supposed to go? Right. So the, the next step is consolidation of wealth and power and property. And the way that that's happening is, again, going back to that vast amounts of money printing, when you introduce lots of money into the financial system, 
you're not just going to sit on it. You have to spend it. You have to do something with it. Otherwise, inflation's going to eat away at what that money is worth. Otherwise, the Fed might turn around someday and raise interest rates because they're worried about inflation and all of a sudden some of that money is going to be gone. You have to do something with the money. So what they're what these corporations are doing with the money and what banks are doing with the money and what big investment firms are doing with the money is they're buying assets. They're buying stocks. They're buying property, real uh, the right. houses, whole neighborhoods in some cases. And that's cases. where BlackRock comes in. Right, exactly. Um, and they're buying up these, they're buying up gold, they're buying up uh, mines, they're buying up things that have tangible value. Why? Because these things are going to become more valuable as time goes on, as uh, the concentration of wealth becomes um, uh, more severe. And you have, it, it's going to be harder and harder for people to buy property. It's going to be harder for people to get their hands on, on gold and other sort of uh, precious metals. Stock is going to become more valuable. And they want to buy all that stuff up now so that they, A, can, can you know, secure their wealth because, you know, what happens if the dollar crashes? Well, if you own a bunch of real property, a house is always going to be worth a house, whatever that mm -hmm. means in the economy, right? Um, and gold is going to always have value and uh, hard assets, mines, things, uh, rare earth minerals, these things are always going to have value. So it secures their wealth, but it also helps them have more control over the economy too. If they own the stock, if they own the, uh, the, the most of the property in society, then it's really easy for them to decide how things are going to run, what the world is going to look like, what your ability is to make decisions for yourselves in your own life. And you're not really going to have a say in all of that. So it's all about consolidating wealth, consolidating power. And they believe this is going to be good because they think yeah. that they know better than you do. And so yeah. if they have control of the wealth and they have control of the property, and, they, and then they can make sure that we're all living in harmony with nature. They can make sure that everybody has enough wealth to survive. This They have savior complex, make no mistake about it, but they're also getting incredibly rich off of this, this scheme. In my yeah. opinion, this is the biggest Ponzi scheme that's ever been hatched. Yeah. They're making trillions and trillions and trillions of dollars off of this collectively. And it isn't getting better, it's getting worse. And you know, I was going to ask why left-wing social values seem to be paired with what they're doing. Like why, in order to get a high ESG score, especially the S part of that ESG score, you have to, um, you know, be pro Black Lives Matter, pro Pride Month, and all of these, and all of these things. But I guess it's because left-wing ideology is collectivist and it kind of conditions people into thinking that capitalism is selfish, that individualism is selfish, that we have to start thinking collectively. And yet at the same time, this is not a left, it's, well, it's fascist because it's the wedding of corporate and, um, corporate and government power, right? So it's got these left-wing social aspects to it. And then you've got what is typically considered right wing fascist aspects to it. But maybe it's because like the political spectrum really isn't right versus left. It's really more like a circle and communism and fascism. We're really just so close together up here in the circle. I don't know. Make sense of that for me. Like, wh why is it the left and fascism? Wh how is that all coming together in a way that makes any coherent sense? Right. So I think that primarily the Great Reset is about consolidating wealth amongst the elites and central planners. And the idea is there is a collectivist element to that, right? Because they think we can 
control society for the benefit of the collective. So there's no doubt that there's an element of that. But I think personally, the biggest reason that they throw in all of these socialist things, the reason why ESG scores are tailored to uh, appeal to people who are on the left, because keep in mind, ESG scores could be changed at any time to appeal to any group of people. It doesn't have to be left-wing causes. It could be anything. And they're the ones writing it. The elites are the ones actually writing these things. So if they wanted to rewrite it, they could. Why, why have they done that? I think it's a strategic decision that they made because they know, uh, and, and I think this goes all the way back, and I've, I've read quotes from some of the leaders involved in all of this where they talk about Occupy Wall Street, and they talk about um, people being disillusioned and Black Lives Matters and marching in the streets, and they hear the rhetoric that comes from the people on the far, far left. What do they want? They want to destroy corporations. Mm. They want to destroy the banking system. They want to collectivize everything. Well, that means that all of these elites are going to lose their power and their money. And so they think, I believe... Uh, they made a strategic decision to say, who are we going to align ourselves with? Are we going to try to align ourselves with conservatives and libertarians who don't like the centralization of power? No, nah, it doesn't really make a lot of sense. Yeah. Are we going to align ourselves with socialists who want to destroy big corporations and take away all of our wealth? Well, that's probably not great for us either. But maybe if we could throw in enough socialist programs, the Green New Deal, single-payer healthcare, all of these things into the pot, and we can make this a sort of a collectivist-sounding, nice-sounding, you know, we're in it for the collective mindset, then, uh, uh, um, you know, marketing campaign, then maybe we can get those people to look the other way while we continue to consolidate our power and wealth. And that is exactly what has happened. And I believe that's really the reason why they wrap themselves around social justice. It's not because they care about these things, really. It's because they want to um, consolidate their power and they don't want these groups of people to march in the streets uh, and and vote to take away their wealth um, to be opposed to them. They want them on their side. Yeah, and I think it also has to do with what you just mentioned. They know that conservatives, and I would say in particular Christian conservatives, have always had this anti-authoritarian streak. I mean, really since the Protestant Reformation, that's part of why America was founded, really on the basis of religious reasons. And when you think about a lot of the values that these corporations tout, that in some ways are anti-family, anti-conservative, um, pro-big government, pro-corporate oligarchy. Um, it helps them to demonize the people that they would fear most would push against their plans, which is exactly what's happening right right now. By the way, the people who are speaking up about this are predominantly conservative. So I think they also, they demonize, they shun the values that they think are a biggest threat and the institutions that they think are a biggest threat to this kind of corporate collectivism, which is the family, which is church, uh, which is community. And it makes me just think about how COVID has played into all of this, shoving people into isolation, looking to the government to save us from a virus, which is totally nonsensical, to save us economically, um, to keep us, you know, out of church, even kids out of school in some ways. It just makes me think about how the past two years have played into their hands so well, but one of one of the things that you've said in the past that I think is kind of a little surprising maybe to some people, you don't think that COVID was 
planned necessarily. Uh, you simply think that it, you know, it happened however it happened. And the people in charge of the Great Reset have simply used it to their advantage, correct? Yeah. I, 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 one of the sort of conspiracy theories that have been tied to the Great Reset is this idea that somehow COVID was released by the people who are involved in it, uh, that this was all part of their plan. If you actually look at the things that they've been saying for the past couple of decades, before they came up with the Great Reset slogan, they've been pushing for these same ideas just with uh, different terms. Um, they've tried all sorts of different crises. Um, it's, it's not as though COVID is the first one they've tried. Uh, it's just none of them really caught on. COVID r really scared the heck out of people in a way that other things didn't. Um, but climate change, for example, is probably the base, biggest example of this. Um, they've been pushing the idea that we have to transform the global economy and move to a stakeholder capitalism model because climate change is an existential threat that's going to wipe out all of human civilization. They've been pushing that for literally decades. I mean, that has been going on for decades. And even prior to Al Gore, you can see environmentalism. You can, you can go back and look at the population boom. You can find global cooling was a big thing, I think, in the 1970s. They've been trying out all sorts of different things for a very long time, often making incremental gains. But this was finally a crisis big enough to warrant the global transformation that they've been calling for. Climate change in their minds is still that thing, and they're going to continue pushing that as the long-term justification. But people aren't buying that the same way that they did with COVID-19. COVID-19 killed lots of people. It's, it's still killing lots of people. And it's scaring everyone into believing that, yes, I'll give up any amount of power that I can. I don't care. I desperately need um, to, to uh, safety over everything else. And they're take, trying to take advantage of that. So is that part of why, is that part of why the governments are cracking down the way they are in a way that just doesn't make sense. Like even if people are just truly scared about COVID and I agree, like that is what, uh, that's really what I think allowed a lot of these, especially democratic politicians to seize the power that they did because initially we all thought that that's what we had to do. That's what we had to do in order to save our fellow man. We thought that this was like a 20% death rate and that, okay, two weeks to slow the spread. They're going to give up these powers. This is going to be gone by summer. And now we are two years almost into this mess. I just wonder, like, is it really great reset purposes that governments in places like Canada and Australia throughout the European Union, of course, some states here in the United States are continuing to do things that just don't make any sense? They're cracking down on people's freedoms. They are implementing, you know, vaccine verification, even though we know at this point the vaccine doesn't stop infection or transmission. They're doing things that are nonsensical when it comes to COVID that seems to be so just blatantly, without even trying to hide it anymore, about power. Does that play into the Great Reset or is there something else going on here? Yeah, I think it absolutely does play into the Great Reset. Uh, when they launched the Great Reset campaign, which you got to remember was at the height of the COVID pandemic, the fear for COVID pandemic. This is mid 2020. Um, we've had we have lots of people dying. I think it was in June where they where they actually rolled out that first slogan. Um, they they understood that this was, in the words of one of the the co-hosts of this, Prince Charles, a golden opportunity. That was the words that right. he used when talking about the Great Reset. A global a a, a 
a golden opportunity for us to reshape the economy, to push the reset button on the global economy. And they've continued to use that language. There were members of Congress that used very sim- similar language, calling this a great opportunity for them to push their agenda, to make changes. The whole concept of build back better, which is a slogan that Joe Biden adopted uh, from the World Economic Forum and other world leaders from around the world, like Boris Johnson in the United Kingdom was pushing for that. Angela Merkel was using that same language. People were using the Build Back Better slogan for years leading up to the pandemic. The whole concept of Build Back Better is what? We have this opportunity here to build back better, to make things better, to transform the world. Um, it's, It's all of the things that we see from the Great Reset illustrate that leaders believed once COVID happened that this was a fantastic chance, a fantastic opportunity that the table was set for them to make these transformations that they always knew were were uh, their goal, but that they didn't have the justification to, to transform society. Well, now they have it. And so I think that that's why we saw them move so swiftly. That's why we saw them be so authoritarian in some degrees. It's not just because they were worried about the pandemic. I think that initially that was probably part of it. But I think at some point they realized if we don't take this opportunity now to change the world, it may not come again for 10, 15, 20 years. Maybe it won't ever come again. This might be the most important opportunity we have to usher in stakeholder capitalism. So let's take it, let's run with it, and let's transform society now. And so I think that's why they've been so willing to adopt these authoritarian models because it's really, it's an opportunity thing. Yeah. Now, I have a hard time believing that every Democratic politician who, for example, is implementing things like vaccine passports in order to enter museums or restaurants are consciously thinking about the Great Reset and stakeholder capitalism when they're doing that. So are those people, like, are they being sincere? Like, what's the reasoning behind implementing some of those policies when, again, we know that the vaccine, while it does some things, it it doesn't seem to be stopping infection or transmission. Like, what is behind that if they're not thinking about, you know, the Great Reset, which I'm just not sure that they are. Yeah, yeah. I I think that the Great Reset, really, what is it? It's, it's, It's a movement to put elites in charge of society. And it's a specific kind of movement with a specific kind of plan. But I think that there's this bigger umbrella of of, of people who believe elites need to be in charge of society. I think that's a tale as old as time. I think going all the way back to human civilization, there's always been people who believe that the elites, the experts, they should be running things. And I think that there's a lot of people who may not necessarily be interested in the Great Reset per se, but who buy into that concept. And so it can seem at times like they're all in it together. And there are many of them in it together. I mean, the people who go to Davos and hang out at the World Economic Forum, I mean, there are all sorts of politicians. Uh, Joe Biden has done that many times. John Kerry is a huge supporter of the Great Reset. He's a cabinet level position. There are lots of people in the U.S. government, lots of people in the Democratic Party who openly have supported the the Great Reset, even using that language of the Great Reset, like John Kerry. Uh, But there are a lot of other people who just kind of fall under the umbrella of, you know, elites should be in control of everything. And I don't necessarily think that they think about the Great Reset per se. They just think that's the direction we should be moving in anyway. And it kind of ties, fits in nicely with what the Great Reset is trying to do. Yeah, I wonder if they anticipated the pushback that they have gotten. I mean, the media doesn't cover it very often, but there are massive protests 
in the countries that are coming down most harshly when it comes to COVID measures. And I just wonder if those protests, if those movements against these authoritarian measures, if they are going to produce any fruit at all, or if we're so far into this that the elites are just kind of laughing and saying, really, you guys are powerless. There's nothing you can do because as long as we have the corporations on our side, like you guys complain all you want to, we're going to do what we're going to do. Yeah, I actually think that they are very afraid. <laughs> there's some, there's been some things that have happened um, that have led me to that conclusion. One story in particular actually involves uh, Glenn specifically. Uh, one of these times, Glenn and I were together, and we were we were, we specifically started talking about. Uh, e- ESG scores and social credit scores being applied to individuals. There's, this was actually happening with certain investment firms and big banks where they were giving individual investors, yeah. just regular people, ESG scores. We started talking about that on the air and some very, very powerful banks reached out to Glenn, his producers, and said, you got to stop talking about this and uh, you don't really understand what we're trying to do. And they were clearly terrified that yeah. we were talking talking about this. Yeah. And so I do think that they are afraid. I think that they are uh, they, they are they are trying to get away with a huge scam. And I think they they're all getting rich off of this. They know that they're trying to get away with it and they haven't quite gotten there yet. The great reset is in the process of happening, but they haven't finalized it yet. They haven't finished it. It's not set in stone. It can be stopped. People can remove themselves from the system. Still, you can you don't have to buy from big corporations. You don't have to get everything from Amazon. You don't have to uh, buy internationally. You can still buy locally. It's it's still possible to buy food from farmers markets and things like that. It is still possible. And until they get to the point where it becomes impossible to do these things, they're going to be afraid of people getting together, standing up, fighting against this. I I do think it can be stopped. And I think they know that. Um, So, but they also know that they're in a pretty good position. If people don't recognize what the great reset is, they don't recognize all of the money that's pouring into it. They don't recognize that big corporations and banks are all involved in this. Uh, Big tech companies are all involved in this. Social media companies are all involved in this. If people don't realize that and remove themselves from those systems or find alternatives, then yeah, they are going to win. And so they know they're in a good position, but do I think that they're so confident they're laughing at, at people when they, you know, protest, when they try to remove themselves from these systems? No, I think they are yeah. scared that they're going to get caught in the final hour um, and that this whole thing's going to fall apart and they're going to look terrible. Okay, second sponsor for the day is ExpressVPN. I love ExpressVPN. My whole family uses ExpressVPN. This is the VPN that reroutes your network data through a secure encrypted tunnel so your ISP can't see or sell your online activity. This is the VPN that, in my opinion, does this the very best. Internet service providers know every single website you visit. ISPs can sell this information to ad companies and tech giants who then use your data to target you. You don't want that. ExpressVPN is not only effective, it's super easy to use. All you have to do is turn on the app. You click one button, you're good to go. A single account works on five different devices. My husband and I uh, you know, share an account. We have it on our phones. We have it on our laptops. And so it's just a great deal and it works really well. It's rated number one by The Verge and Tech Radar. It works on phones, laptops, even routers. So everyone who shares your Wi-Fi can be protected. That is 
awesome. And I personally love my favorite part is that it's easy to use. I didn't have to, you know, be super tech savvy to just download it, you know, start my, uh, you know, uh, have an account, turn it on and download the app on my other uh, on my other devices as well. It's just very seamless. And that's what I appreciate about it. And it just gives an extra layer of of protection and confidence when I am on my phone or computer. So protect your online privacy by visiting expressvpn.com slash Allie today. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S vpn.com slash Allie. And you can get an extra three months for free. Expressvpn.com slash Allie. I think that your advice is good. And this is something we talked about last time. Because a lot of people want to know, what can I do? What can I do? Well, one thing you can do, really, this is a movement of um, global globalization in, in some ways. These global corporations are going to be who are, you know, ruling over us in the vision of the World Economic Forum after the Great Reset and resisting that by relying on local community, localization, um, and doing everything really that a lot of the left-wing elites don't want people to do. Uh, rely on your family, rely on your church, come together as a community, um, care about things like individual liberty and freedom and all of these things that really stand opposed to what they're trying to do. And really, it's difficult in the age of COVID, which again, like you said, is playing right into their hands. And I'm I'm just wondering again, just because so many people are confused about this stuff, and my husband and I, we find ourselves talking about this. Maybe it doesn't have anything to do with the Great Reset, although I've heard you say before that a lot of things, if not everything that kind of happens somehow plays into what's going on. But you see so much COVID policy that just doesn't make sense, and not just when it comes to the government, but also also with hospitals, like for example, there's news coming out of California. It's happening in ev- probably in every state because I've gotten so many messages from people saying that this is happening even in conservative states. This is happening in Canada. As we know, there are a lot of nurses, healthcare workers that got fired uh, because they refused to get the vaccine for a variety of reasons. Now we keep hearing that the hospitals are strained, not necessarily because of COVID patients, but because they are short-staffed. They've been short-staffed for a long time, and yet they fired hundreds of healthcare workers at each hospital because of this. And now the news is that COVID positive healthcare workers are being asked to come into work as long as they have, quote, mild symptoms. And this is even happening in, for example, labor and delivery units where mothers and children, they're in a very vulnerable position. And they're not even getting informed. They're not even getting informed that they might have a COVID positive nurse. At the same time, in some places, and I've gotten uh, hundreds of accounts of this, uh, if moms test positive while they are delivering, they may, not in all hospitals, but in some hospitals, have their baby taken away from them for several days until they don't test positive anymore. Meanwhile, COVID positive nurses might be 
delivering this baby, taking care of this baby. I saw another crazy story, the Ronald McDonald House in Vancouver. They are evicting families, including uh, kids with cancer who refuse to get the vaccine ages five and over. There are so many different things like that that people are saying this just doesn't make any sense. What it, Why? Are, what are they doing? Like, why, This obviously isn't because of public health anymore. Like, Do the pharmaceutical companies have to do with this? Does this play into everything we're talking about it almost seems like they're trying to push people into you know onto the brink of insanity meanwhile saying something like mass formation psychosis isn't anything that exists and this is all just for your safety it doesn't make any sense yeah does this play into everything that we're talking about at all i think that from a very uh, broad in a very broad way i think it does And I think right from the very beginning, part of the golden opportunity of COVID was this is a golden opportunity for experts, for the ruling class and for the expert class of society to say, you know what? You have to listen to us. Whatever we say, you must listen to us. And anyone who refuses to listen to us is a horrible person. They're contributing to people dying. They are uh, they don't deserve basic rights. Uh, we've seen um, some states been uh, have been denied access to certain health care products and services that are necessary from the federal government. For example, we've seen some politicians suggest that um, uh Uh, insurance companies shouldn't cover treatment for unvaccinated people in certain situations, right? Why are they being so heartless and so cruel about it? Why are they evicting people from Ronald McDonald House? Why are they making life so miserable for people who are unvaxxed? Because I think it's a message that they're that's being sent across the entire society, whether it's related to COVID or not, that's the, the ruling class is in charge. We know what's best. Anyone who steps out of line is a serious problem and needs to be punished. And so I think that the punitive. vaccine mandate is a big part of this. Why are they still pushing a vaccine mandate, a booster mandate, when in, in, in some cases it's a booster, in other cases it's not. But why are they pushing for that when we know that people with, who get vaccinated are getting the Omicron variant anyway? Yeah. Why do that? Because it's about sending a message. You're going to listen to us. That's the message that they're saying. And if you don't, then you're going to be punished. And that is really, in a, in a big way, in a broad sense, that's what the Great Reset is really all about, right? It's about awarding, giving awards to people who fall into line with what the ruling class thinks is right and punishing people who don't. And it doesn't matter if you're a healthcare worker or a mom or it doesn't matter who you are. If you don't play by their rules, you're going to face the consequences of it. And that's not to say, obviously, that everyone who encourages vaccination is trying to, you know, be a part of the Great Reset. But you're talking about the punitive measures that are being taken that clearly are not for public health. People getting kicked out of the military, kicked out of, uh, you know, businesses, organizations, hospitals, fired, while at the same time, COVID-positive people are being asked to show up to work, are being asked to treat sick patients, even in oncology units. I mean, we're talking about very vulnerable people. If you are COVID-positive, apparently you are being asked to come to work because the hospital system is strained. It also makes me wonder, are you trying to break like our our uh, healthcare industry, like is that part of this whole thing? I mean, I'm not sure that every single piece has to fit together for us to just realize that this is, like you said, about punishing dissent. This is about creating chaos as well. And that's the next question. I know we're going to finish up here soon, but the next question is, I wonder how chaos 
seems to play into it because, like you said, they might fear some of the protests of people who are protesting against the authoritarianism of the government, but they don't seem to fear and actually seem to quite enjoy the riots um, that happened for more than six months you know, by left-wing agitators that were very damaging and were deadly and all of that. Um, and also, they seem to support, we know that George Soros actually funds a lot of these lawless district attorneys that refuse to prosecute crime in several cities across the country. They really just don't care. They don't care when people are murdered. Like, they're just not going to do anything about it. And then, of course, the other aspect of chaos that we see in society is the failure to police the border by the federal government. Um, just porous borders, if not open borders. So how does the chaos and the lawlessness in the United States and maybe elsewhere as well play into what they're trying to do? Yeah, well, chaos is an opportunity. It's an opportunity for change. And that's always been true with any any movement to consolidate power that's ever existed, whether it's a dictatorship or a king or a, a government, um, a progressive government, a socialist government. They've always taken advantage of chaos. Why? Because when things get very chaotic, what do you want? It You want someone to stop the chaos, no matter what the cost is. And so I think allowing chaos to occur is actually part of, of the plan, really. I, I think that's actually part of it. I think the other part of it is, kind of going back to what we said before, they see themselves at, they see one of their biggest adversaries being very far left-wing people. Uh, they, they're very worried about the, the super far left, the Democratic Socialists of America types, communists. They're worried about those people marching in the streets against them, calling out their uh, hypocrisy, trying to take away their wealth from them. And I think some of these things are meant to kind of appease those groups that really do want some of these radical things to happen with DAs and soft on crime policies and, and that sort of thing. So I think there's an element of that as well. And I think there's another part of it, too. Uh, the I, what is the real reason? Or what is the stated reason for why we need to have soft on crime policies? Well, the biggest one is that the system is systemically racist. Right. The whole system is systemically racist. And so if the justice system is racist, if the government is racist, if all of these policies that lead to people being imprisoned are just racist, it's all just a form of racism. Well, then shouldn't we blow up that whole system and have a different system? Shouldn't we tear that one down and create a whole new one? Why do we have this racist system? So I think it's part of it is that too, right? If you can get enough people to believe in this idea that all of our society is so infected with racism and uh, unfair policies based on gender and unfair policies based on sexual orientation, unfair policies based on income inequality and everything else, well then it's not hard to make the argument that we should have something else. Yeah. And, and if everything is fine and you don't have all of these, these issues, you don't have chaos and you don't have this perception that all of our systems are broken, well then why do we need a new system, right? Yeah. So I think, again, it just the, the, the big theme here is we have crises that need to be solved, right? Let's, let's allow crises to get worse. Let's make crises worse in some cases. And then we need someone who will solve them. Well, who should that be? That should be the ruling class. And that is sort of the overarching theme of the entire Great Reset that, that you can find in almost any news story that you see on a daily basis. The ruling class is trying to consolidate power 
And they're saying that they're doing this for your benefit and that the world will be a much better place if you allow it to happen. Just look at the chaos that's going on in the world. Only we can solve it. That is how they win in the end. If enough people believe that they can't fix the problem on their own, that local communities aren't the solution, that their church is not the solution, that their own families can't take care of each other, though if enough people believe that, then they will turn to a strong man to solve their problems for them. And honestly, that's true on the right or the left, because I think the right is probably quicker to say, look, we don't want this crime. We don't want this lawlessness. And as a reaction to left wing lawlessness, I can see people on the right saying, you know, we need a strong man, too. We need someone who's going to come in and just take over enough with this whole liberty madness. It hasn't led us into a good direction. And so now we need a forum. I mean, the left certainly is the source of authoritarianism right now, but I almost wonder if some people on the right would be more accepting of their version of authoritarianism because of the chaos that's going that's going on and will continue to go on. And I wonder if that would also then, if that would play into the Great Reset or if that would be a deterrent to it. I don't know. But all I know is that human beings don't tolerate chaos for long. That's just a part of human nature and that's that's why we order society the way we do. That's why we have institutions like family, like church, like communities. Human beings, just as a part of our nature, like to make our world small. We like to order it. We like to fragment it. That's why we tell time. That's why we have languages. That's why we do so many of the rituals and traditions that we do, because we're trying to make sense of the world. So I can absolutely see how if you rip that apart, which is exactly what's happening when you, even when you look at something like the radical gender ideology, taking away what human beings from all cultures everywhere have known for all of time and saying that thing that you have always known that is abundantly clear you don't actually know it anymore. It's causing chaos in the outward world, but it's also causing the chaos of the mind to where you can almost hear people screaming for order, for someone to take over and to just make sense of everything. And I don't know what direction that is going to go, but yeah, I, I just see, I see what you're talking about coming into play and it freaks me out. Yeah, well, it freaks out a lot of people and they should be freaked out. It's time for people to organize. It's time for people to react to this. We can't just sit by and hope the problem will solve itself. It's not. They, they, they have made their choice. They have started moving in this direction and they aren't going to stop. And there is way, way, way too much money at stake, trillions and trillions of dollars. And they believe that trillions more that they can make over a long period of time. There are some groups like Principles of Responsible Investment and others who are behind the Great Reset that collectively, if you take all of the people involved, have 130 trillion, trillion with a T, assets under management, all behind sustainable investment, all behind ESG scores and things like that. So this, mm. this thing is, they're gonna make this happen if we don't stand up against it. And just one last thing about, about you know, what you had just been talking about previously with the sort of the left-right spectrum on this. This really isn't a left-right issue. It's really an elites versus everyone else issue. That's really what this is. You can be a socialist, but believe that you don't want big globalist institutions making all of your decisions for you, that you don't want corporations running your life. You can be a socialist who believes in local socialism. I'm not saying that's a good thing either, but you don't have to believe in the Great Reset um, if you're a socialist or a communist or a progressive even. You can believe in, in local communities taking care of themselves. And so really, what is this about? This is about elites versus everybody else, elites versus Main Street America. 
And once people realize that, I think it actually opens up an opportunity for us to reach out to people who may not agree with us on on anything else, but they at least agree that decisions shouldn't be made by corporations and banks and international institutions. They should be made by local communities. And that will help us stop this as well. But I think the difficult part about that is that they are echoing left wing sentiments. And so it's really like it's easy for you and I to oppose them because they espouse, you know, views that I don't like. And so I don't like any of it. But hey, if they were echoing everything that I held dear and that I said I thought was good and right and true, it'd be a little bit more difficult to see it objectively, which is why I think someone on the left who sees corporations talking about Black Lives Matter, talking about Pride Month, talking about income inequality, talking about, you know, uh, the dangers of COVID, all of these things that they sincerely hold on to. They're also less likely to be religious and care about religious liberty. People on the left, they're less likely to care about the cohesion of the nuclear family. And so they just don't necessarily see this, I think, as much of a threat because you really would have to show, like, look, all of these institutions that say that they're for the things that you're for, that say that they have your values, they're really against you, they're against both of us let's work together to stand up to that it's a lot harder because yeah. they're espousing left-wing values if you're on the left you're you might be like that's okay i mean that's what authoritarians have always done they've gotten to power by telling one group of people that they're gonna punish the group of people that they think are the source of their problems a lot of people on the left think that you know evangelical conservatives are the source of their problems even though you know we have no institutional power and it makes me wonder if that's what's behind for example Merrick Garland's justice department saying that they're you know going to go after parents who complain saying that they are going to go after um we don't even know how they define it, but domestic terrorists that basically seems like they're defining as they actually said that they are worried about um, people who have anti-government, anti-authority, um, anti-authority sentiments. That's a that's a terrorist. That seems that seems like they are trying to control dissent. That seems to certainly play into to all of this. And I think it's just difficult to get people on the left to see it because, hey, they seem or they think that they're getting a good deal out of this. Yeah, that, that's and that's why they do it. I mean, that is that is part of the plan, I think. That's why going back to one of the questions you asked earlier, why did they why are they supporting all of these socialist programs too on top of all these other things? Because I think they know they got to buy somebody off. They got to get somebody on their side. It's got to be either the left or the right. And they chose the left because I think they thought it would be easier sell to them. And that's exactly what's happened. The key to reaching out to people on the left, though, is to get them to recognize that, number one, you know, there are good reasons not to trust these people. For starters, The left has never trusted big corporations and big banks and the centralization of wealth in the hands of a few. They don't like that. So that should be one big red flag. Another red flag is that these people are making massive amounts of money off of this whole system. A lot of them don't. Sorry to interrupt you, but a lot of them don't or say that they don't. But some of the most influential liberals in the country absolutely do. Like, 
I mean, Democratic politicians, Nancy Pelosi, Gavin Newsom, all these people love the concentration of wealth at the very top. The celebrities in Hollywood and Silicon Valley, a lot of people in the federal government, they love the concentration of wealth at the very top because then they turn around and they say that they're using that to help people, despite the fact that every liberal city in the country is almost a hellhole at this point. Um, And so, yes, I know that liberals classically don't like those things. But I just I'm not sure if that's true of the most influential liberals in the country anymore. No, it's definitely not true for the most influential liberals. Regular, everyday uh, uh, people walking down the street who are hardcore liberal, progressive, socialist, they need to wake up and realize that the people who they think represent their ideas don't represent their ideas. And there are a lot of them that think that already, uh, but there needs to be more of them. They need to understand that the hypocrisy at the top isn't just, well, you know, they have different rules and, you know, but they really are fighting for us. No, they're actually not fighting for you, even from a policy perspective. They write the rules to benefit them. They create programs that are cronyist in nature that benefit them, that benefit corporations. They're all getting rich off of this, the Great Reset, and even before the Great Reset, they've been getting rich off of these policies for years. Even if you're a left-wing person, you can't trust the the leaders who you've put into place. And I think if we can just get them to realize the hypocrisy of this, and the fact that they're all getting rich off of it, it will hopefully cause some people to stop and think about this a little more deeply, even if they don't agree with us about anything else. Yeah, and people really have to wake up to see that the measures that are being taken in the name of public health are not being not being made in the name of public health. And I think people are waking up to that. Like, I think that you're right. There are not even just like the hardcore socialists, but certainly we've seen a lot of independents who would not consider themselves conservative. They're certainly not socially conservative. Wake up and say, especially when it comes to the COVID measures, hey, this just doesn't make any sense. What's going on here? You've seen a lot of skepticism towards the pharmaceutical companies, which I guess is, you know, billion dollar corporations are all playing a role in the things that you are talking about. And so I do think people are waking up and maybe to end on a positive note for our listeners and viewers. Do you think that Joe Biden's um, there was one poll that came out that said that his approval rating is at 33 percent? which is really low. It's an outlier poll. Um, and yet that's that's what it says. That's what it is. Like, do you think his disapproval rating, does that put a wrench in the plans? Um, is the fact, does the fact that people in the middle on the right and maybe left of center are waking up at least to the corruption and the power hungriness, hunger, I should say, of people in power, does that put a wrench in the, in the plans of all of this? Or are they going to try to make Joe Biden more popular? Or do they not care? Yeah, no, I think it definitely puts a wrench in it. Joe Biden, uh, when John Kerry uh, was interviewed by the World Economic Forum just after Joe Biden had won the election, it was in November, a couple weeks later after the election, uh, but before he had taken office, he held this, there was, he was at this World Economic Forum event promoting the Great Reset and they asked him about the Biden administration and they asked whether they thought it was going to be too much to, to hope for Joe Biden to, to promote the Great Reset in its entirety, to, to do it quickly enough that it will make an impact. And John Kerry said, no, Joe Biden is completely behind this, that the Great Reset is going to happen. It's going to happen faster than people realize. It's going to happen with greater intensity than people realize. We're going to make this happen. This is a again it's a golden opportunity for them they know that joe biden is not popular they know joe biden has there's a pretty good chance that he's not gonna 
he may not even run for re-election, but if he does, he, he won't win. There's a pretty good chance of that. And so what they're going to do from this point forward is try to get as much stuff done as they possibly can through executive action and when they can laws, but through the banking system, through the SEC, through ESG scores. And it's a mad rush for them right now. Yeah. And, and with, when Barack Obama was president, they were doing similar kinds of things. Looking back on it, you can see it. But it was very slow because I think they believed we have all the time in the world. Barack Obama is super popular. Uh, whoever runs after Barack Obama is easily going to win. We've got lots of time to roll this and stuff And they chose out. Hillary Clinton? <laughs> they thought now, that- was that purposeful or is does Hillary Clinton, because now she's talking about maybe running again in 2024, which I'm like, please, God, yes. But did they when they decided that Hillary Clinton was going to be the nominee, is it because they thought she'd be popular or is it because she has so much influence in this world that she basically the Clintons basically kind of get to dictate when they are going to take power? Because I'm sorry, this might be a conspiracy, but I actually think Bernie was snubbed both times like i actually think he was probably going to be the nominee both times and whatever powers that be like you said that don't like that kind of socialist part of the democratic party i feel like they decided i know this sounds like a conspiracy but i feel like they purposely decided that bernie was not going to be the nominee both times so how does hillary clinton become who they select. Yeah, I mean, Hillary Clinton is part of this entire, of this World Economic Forum world. She's part of this, the the elites. She's totally 100% on board with all of this stuff. She would have been the perfect successor to Barack Obama to make sure that all of these things are happening. Just like Joe Biden is part of that world. And he's, a, he's, he's trying to implement all of the things that started under Barack Obama. That's why most of his administration or much of his administration is full of people who also worked for Barack Obama. So uh, there's no doubt that Hillary Clinton was part of the establishment and, the, and Bernie Sanders was not. Again, going back to what I said about socialists, Bernie Sanders is not part of the Great Reset. He's not going to Davos and hanging out with yeah. this crowd. And he used to be way more anti-authoritarian than he is, even though, weirdly, he also loved the Soviet Union. I don't right. know. It's weird. <laughs> yeah. But that's the thing about Bernie Sanders is he might be an authoritarian in, in a lot of ways, but he's not a big corporation, big yeah. banks, he's your Davos person. Right. He's a different kind of he's a, he's a different kind of authoritarian entirely. And those people are not the Bernie Sanders crowd is not really the Great Reset crowd. They're two totally different groups of people. And that's why it's so important for us to understand that this really isn't about socialism, even though it kind of seems like it. It's not. This is about elites having more power. Bernie Sanders does not represent giving elites more power not elites in the banks and corporations and Davos. He wants the elites in government to have more power. He wants government to control virtually everything. He wants to collectivize virtually everything. I think he's a true communist, Marxist. Yeah. I also think he's a nationalist. He probably doesn't admit it now, but he used to be against illegal immigration because he was for the worker. Nationalism absolutely is against everything that the Great Reset is trying to do. So they could have been a little bit worried about that as well. Exactly. But you're 100% right that, I mean, Bernie Sanders was screwed. There's, there's just no doubt. There's no doubt about it. I mean, the last election was a perfect example of it. All the way up to Super Tuesday yes. of the primaries, Bernie Sanders was in the, in the lead. It exactly. looked like he was going to run away with it. And then at the last second, the establishment cut some deal to get uh, Pete Buttigieg to drop out of the race, to get uh, Amy Klobuchar to drop out of the race. And all of a sudden, 
Joe Biden gobbles up all of that support and wins Super Tuesday. And now Joe Biden is the right. nominee. That after was not a, that was deliberate. In the, after coming fourth in the Iowa caucus, I'm not sure if that has ever happened. Right, exactly. And that was a plan by the establishment to make sure that an establishment person who supports elites, who supports putting elites in charge of everything that's part of this whole Great Reset movement would be president and not a guy who wants to come in and tear down that entire system and create a different system, one that's also authoritarian, but very different. Yeah. You know, like you said, I think Republicans have played their part in this. Absolutely. This is not primarily a left-right issue, although, as we also established, the left is going along more with it for several reasons that we talked about. But I do wonder, is it even possible, and a lot of people have this question, for a Republican to win. One of the pieces of legislation that they're trying to pass, to your point, they're trying to get as much done as possible, which is exactly why they want to get rid of the filibuster, even though Democrats have defended it, including Chuck Schumer, including uh, Joe Biden for years, saying that it is important to our democracy. We've got to keep the filibuster. Now they're trying to throw the filibuster out because they want to do as much as possible while they can. One of the biggest things they want to do is to federalize elections so they have more power, so illegal immigrants can vote. And all of that, um, does that uh, does that prevent if they are able to do those things, a Republican or someone who is against everything that we're talking about from being able to take office? Because that, to me, is what it seems like they're trying to do. They know that Joe Biden's unpopular, so they're going to make it as difficult as possible for a Republican to ever win again. Yeah, I mean, look, if. If this election law, the election reform law that's now being proposed in Congress, if this thing passes, I'm not sure that Republic and I don't think it will, by the way, but I'm not sure that Republicans will win elections unless they become just like the Democrat Party. I don't think that they will ever win another election again. I think we're going to have a quasi one party country going forward. If they pass this voting bill, if they pass this voting bill, because the rules will be so rigged in favor of of the left, that it's going to be impossible for Republicans to overcome that unless they can, again, become just like the Democrat Party. But you do see one party. I mean, in Europe, there are lots of places where it's essentially a one party state. Canada Um, is almost like that. Yeah. And and there are there are parts of the United States that are like that. There are some states in the United States that have been run by Democrats for 100 years straight. Yeah. So, I mean, could that happen? Yeah, that could absolutely happen. That's (laughs) why it's so important for that bill to fail. Yeah, I mean, that's so true. I mean, the cities that have been run by Democrats for decades are also the cities that say that it's right wing, you know, conservatism that are causing all of the problems, especially for minority communities. And if you just vote Democrat again, which is exactly what they're doing now, they're saying if you vote Democrat, you are saving democracy, even as they are trying to make it harder for people to have a Democratic voice. It's really incredible, but people fall for it when you use words like voter suppression and systemic racism and social justice. It makes it sound it makes it sound so good. Hopefully people are waking up to that, though. We'll be talking more about the voting bill and the specifics of it next week and a lot of the propaganda that is going going on. Um, All right. Anything else? Anything else you want to add to this conversation? Maybe to not leave people in total despair. Yeah, sure. I think that the important thing to remember is that there you're not powerless in this, even though it feels like it at times. You're really not. There is an opportunity here. 
it, the window of opportunity is closing. We do have to make decisions now. But if we all gather together, if we make the choice right now that we're not going to allow the Great Reset to happen, that we're not going to be part of these systems that are corrupt, that are cronyist, where people are making trillions and trillions of dollars at our expense that are taking away our freedom and taking away our opportunities for ourselves and our children. If we stand up against this right now as a group collectively and we decide, no, we are not going to participate in these systems. We're not going to give our money to banks that are that are imposing ESG scores. We're not going to vote for politicians who uh, continue to be part of this problem, whether they have an R next to their name or a D next to their name. We're not going to support it anymore. We're not going to buy Buy from corporations that are that are promoting these ideas, even if they have products that we like. We're not going to just buy everything from Amazon, as convenient as that might be. We're going to try to shop local. We're going to try to bank local. We're trying, going to try to buy our food locally. If we decide to make that decision and to let the establishment know that the reason we're making that decision is because we don't support these policies, then we have a chance to reverse course. We have a chance to build communities and to, and to transform our lives in a positive way yeah. instead of continuing to go down this road of the Great Reset. There still is time to make that change. But if we don't do it now, we're going to wake up in a world in five to 10 years where we have so little power, so little property, so little privacy, so little free speech that it's going to be almost impossible to right the ship at that point. Yep. Well, I'm thankful to you for speaking up about this. And I know people are going to enjoy learning from this conversation as much as they have in the past. I encourage everyone to get the book, which I think is, you know, it's selling like hotcakes, which doesn't surprise me. It's The Great Reset, Joe Biden and the Rise of 21st Century Fascism by Glenn Beck and Justin Haskins. Justin, thank you so much. Thanks, Allie. Okay, what did I tell you? I told you that you guys were going to enjoy that conversation and learn a lot, and I'm sure that you did. All right, before our biblical encouragement, I got to tell you about our last sponsor for the day, and that is NetSuite. So this is it, the putt to win the tournament. If you sink it, the champion is the championship is yours. But on your backswing, your hat falls over your eyes. Is this how you're running your business? Poor visibility because you're still relying on spreadsheets and outdated finance uh, software to see the full picture. You need to upgrade to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system to power your growth with visibility and control of your financials, inventory, HR, planning, budgeting, and more. NetSuite is everything you need to grow all in one place. 93% of surveyed businesses increase their visibility and control after upgrading to NetSuite. Over 28,000 businesses already use NetSuite. For the new year, NetSuite has a new financing program for those ready to upgrade at netsuite.com slash alley. So just head to netsuite.com slash alley for this special one-of-a-kind financing offer on the number one financial system for growing businesses, netsuite.com slash alley, netsuite.com slash Allie. Okay, so I just want to remind you that while all of these systems are very powerful, they're bigger than us, we serve a powerful God that laughs at the wicked. And so while it seems like there is just no, there's no possibility for things to change, uh, there's no possibility for things to get better. Maybe it's true. Maybe things will go that terrible totalitarian direction and all hope truly is lost here on earth. 
Maybe not. I don't know. There's no way for us to be able to predict that, and there's no way for us even as individuals to be able to completely control it. What we are called to do is to glorify God. What we are called to do is the next right thing. I love that quote by Elizabeth Elliot that I often post on my Instagram is that when you are overwhelmed, when you're anxious, when you're worried, all the different tasks, all of the different things that you want to accomplish, all of the different problems that you want to fix, the most comforting thought that you can have is that uh, all you have to do today is the will of God. All you have to do today is the will of God. And now maybe that sounds overwhelming until you realize that God reveals what his will is for us in his word, which is not to be anxious, not to worry, uh, not to fear. Go back and listen to Monday's episode, the beginning of Monday's episode, where we talk about courage, where we talk about the biblical mandate that we have not to fear, not to fear poverty, not to fear uh, persecution, not to fear tribulation, not to fear the powers that be, not to fear the future, not even to fear death. That is what the Christian is called to. And God does not call us to something that he does not give us the power to do. And we also talked about where courage comes from. Courage doesn't come from the understanding of what's going to happen or the understanding of God's will. It just comes from our willingness to trust in God and trust in his will. We serve a powerful God whose authority, whose will transcends the authority and the will of people on earth. Let me read you from one of my favorite Psalms. Fret not yourself because of evildoers, verse 1 says. And I'm kind of going to jump around this chapter. Be not envious of wrongdoers, for they will soon fade like the grass and wither like the green herb. Here today, gone tomorrow. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and befriend faithfulness. Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Refrain from anger, forsake wrath, fret not yourself. So they're saying over and, he's saying over, and over again, do not fret. Fret not yourself, it tends only to evil, for the evildoers shall be cut off, but those who wait for the Lord will inherit the land. The wicked plots against the righteous and gnashes his teeth at him, but the Lord laughs at the wicked, for he sees that his day is coming. Turn away from evil and do good, so shall you dwell forever. For the Lord loves justice. He will not forsake his saints. They are preserved forever. But the children of the wicked shall be cut off. The righteous shall inherit the land and dwell upon it forever. This is certainly true in the eternal sense about those who are in Christ. We can trust God. He is laughing at the wicked. He is laughing at those who think that their will be done. No, God's will will be done once and for all. And then I love this passage, 1 Corinthians 1, um, talking about, it starts out talking in verse 18 about how the folly of, um, or the cross looks like folly to the world, but is the power of God to those of us who believe in them. Verse 20, it says this, where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. For Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God, for the foolishness of God is wiser than men and the weakness of God is stronger than men. And then just a 
couple more verses. For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God righteousness and sanctification and redemption so that as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. There is not any person, any politician or any government on earth that has a power that transcends the power of those who are in Christ. We have eternal power that comes not from us because as scripture says, we were of lowly station, but that comes from a powerful God who is preeminent and who is in authority over all creation. We could read Colossians 1 that talks about um, Christ and his position of authority as well. Uh, You don't have to worry. We don't have to be anxious. We don't have to be fearful. All of this stuff matters. Again, politics matter because people matter. Policy affects people. And so, of course, we care about the things that are going on. Of course, we make the steps that we talked about in this podcast, but we make them not out of fear, but out of love for God, out of trust in him, faith in his promises, and faith that he has put us in the here and the now for a specific purpose, and that is to glorify him. Do the next right thing in faith. Maybe that is changing a diaper with joy. Maybe that's cleaning the kitchen. Maybe that's just discipling and teaching your kids. Maybe that's sharing the gospel with a friend. Uh, Maybe that is, you know, uh, taking cookies to your neighbor. It doesn't have to be a grand thing. Maybe it is. It can also just be doing the next right thing in faith. That kind of thing matters to God. We are finite. He is infinite. He laughs at the wicked. He shames the wisdom of the wise. We've got nothing to worry about. We do the next right thing in faith. All right, we'll be back here on Monday to talk about the rest of the craziness that's going on in the world. Have a great weekend.